back to another episode of the Canary Real Podcast. It is your girl Rachel back with another episode. Yeah. <laughs> so we are going to just jump right in. But before we start, I want to say just thank you to everybody who has been sharing and subscribing, watching the videos, sharing the videos, liking the videos. Please, please, please keep sharing the videos with people so we can really get this message out, this word out. Um, and we can grow the um, grow the number of people we have listening to the videos. Um, and continue just to like it really helps comment if you feel led to uh, you know give me your thoughts on the video x y and z but we're going to get started and uh we're gonna pray first we're gonna jump right in so to heavenly father god i just thank you lord for your grace and your mercy i pray heavenly father god that you will your voice your word will be magnified today and that we will be able to glean knowledge and understanding and a reminder lord god to just humble ourselves before you I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So, we're going to start off by reading chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. We're going to do the second half next week. And then I'm going to reread it in a different version because I like the wording. And then we're going to start kind of breaking this down a little bit. So it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he said, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners and purify your hearts. You double minded grieve, mourn and wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. So like I said, we're going to read it real quick in another version. Uh, it is the uh, complete Jewish Bible. I like that because sometimes the language is a little bit different and I just feel like it's a little bit closer to the you know original. I don't know. I could be just tripping. I just like the version. So I'm going to read it, reread it in the Jewish version. It says, what is causing all the quarrels and fights among you? Isn't your desires battling? Isn't it your desires battling inside of you? You desire things and you don't have them. You kill and you are jealous and you still can't get them. So you fight and quarrel. The reason you don't have is that you don't pray. Or you pray and don't receive because you pray with the, with the wrong motive. That of wanting to indulge in your own desires. You unfaithful wives. Don't you know that loving the world is hating God? Whoever chooses to be the world's friend makes himself God's enemy. Or do you suppose that scripture speaks in vain when it says that there is a spirit in us which longs to envy? But the grace he gives is greater, which is why it says God opposes the arrogant, but to the humble he gives grace. Therefore submit to God. Moreover, take a stand against the adversary and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Clean your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Wail, mourn, sob. Let your laughter be torn into, turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. 
So I think there's, I don't know, I just, I like, I like this, the, the CJB. I think there's a little bit more urgency in the language. Um, just the fact that he says, or don't you know that loving the world, verse four, is hating God. Like, we don't always think of, we think like, you know, I can have one foot in, one foot out. No. If you are a friend of the world, you are an enemy of God, you are saying that you are hating, you hate God. Think about that. You know, for people who are kind of dilly-dallying on both sides, you can't say you love God and you and you act like, you, and you still love the world, the, you love worldly things. You can't have it both ways. It's quite simple. He says, if you are a friend of the world, you hate God. That's what it says. <laughs> Read it for yourself. You are an enemy of God. You are in direct opposition to God. But we're going to flesh that part out a little bit, a little bit later. So to jump in to starting in verses one through one through six, and then we're going to do seven through 10. It says, uh, so it says, starting in verse one, you desire, so you kill, you covet, so you quarrel and you fight. So James could be talking about murder, literal murder, or he could be talking about more of a heart posture when it comes to what we see in uh, Matthew chapter five, where Jesus is talking about, um, how are how we respond to uh, the commandment to not? Where is it at? I know I saved it. There it is. No, that's not it. I had it the first time. Yeah, the command to not like to not murder. So I'm gonna talk. So think about just it could he could be talking about physically killing somebody. James could be. Um, or he could also be talking about more like this heart posture. You hate your neighbor. You hate this person, what they have. And so you desire what they have, even to the point of doing something detrimental to them to get what they have because you're just quarreling and, and, and coveting and fighting so much. So in um, Matthew chapter 5, verses 20, 21 through 22, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says a to a brother or sister raka, which means like calling them like a fool or an idiot, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. And Jesus was not mincing words. Like he said what he meant. He said like you being hangry, hangry you being angry and hating your brother it, you've you've committed murder in your heart so it's i think it's i think it's both and it could be i don't you know you know james could have been dealing with some believers who would like straight out here like murking people or he could be talking about a a heart posture of you hating people so you do anything you can you you kill you could possibly like kill their character you know by you know not taming that tongue which you talked about last week or the week before you know um so he, it could be a lot of different things he's talking about when he says kill. And I want us to consider all the possibilities that what he's saying when he says kill. It could be physical murder or he could be talking about murdering someone's character, killing them with words, you know, hating them in your heart and how that is. Jesus is equating that to the same judgment as murdering them, you know. So just be mindful of how we treat our brothers and sisters, how we think about them and, and um are we coveting things that they have? And, and instead of just us asking God for ourselves, which is the next one, it says you have, you do not have because you do not pray and ask God. James is saying that some of us don't have what we want because we didn't even think to pray about it. Right? So in Matthew chapter seven, a very famous passage of scripture, the whole ask, seek, knock passage, 
in verse in chapter 7 verses 7 through 8 it says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will find knock and the door will be opened to you for everyone who asks receives the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened in other translations it says so keep on asking keep on knocking keep on seeking it's a continuous thing you can't just you can't necessarily pray one time and then never pray again you know sometimes there are things you have to keep being persistent in prayer about and then on top of that he leads from you don't have you don't have because you don't ask god and then he's like and some of you ask god but you ask with the wrong motives it says you know you don't receive because you have the wrong motives you want to you want what only is going to give you pleasure you want to you ask for things that will indulge your desires so we're going to go to uh, that well, that brings to mind the whole idea behind our motives, right? So quickly, we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2. It says, all a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So God knows our hearts, truly. You know, we talk about that. God knows my heart. He does. That's not an excuse to just act a fool. That's not an excuse to just, you know, be disrespectful to people. That's not an excuse to not treat people the way Jesus tells us to treat people in his word that's not an excuse for anything but he does in fact know your heart so he knows what your true motives are and he he pays attention to those motives your motives matter your motives are important you know it talks about like well that wasn't my intent to hurt you sure it wasn't your intent but you so yes the lord knows it wasn't in your intent to hurt somebody or to be rude or disrespectful and so we have that that goodness, that mercy from, you know, that God knows what we were truly trying to say. But you can't dismiss the fact that you still hurt somebody, you know, you still were disrespectful, X, Y, and Z. Anyway, I wanted to focus on the motives part. And so in another passage in Jeremiah chapter 17, this one I think is even better than the Proverbs one. So like I said, the Proverbs one is like, all the ways seem pure to, a, you know, to, a, to us. A person's ways seem pure to uh, to them. You know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing. But God weighs, but, no, the, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So that God, God knows our true motives. He knows our heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 through 10, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. So we have in Proverbs where it says, um, all, all, way, all a person's ways seem pure to them. And Jeremiah is like, but, a per, but a, the heart is deceitful. You know, so it's like, it seems pretty you, but it's, it is deceitful above all things. And there is no cure for a deceitful heart or for the heart being deceitful. It says, who can understand it? Verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to award each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So once again, God does, in fact, as I said in Proverbs 16, verse 2, weigh the motives uh, of our hearts he weighs them he weighs our motives and like we see in James chapter 4 he says you know you ask with the wrong motives because God knows what you truly want what you truly desire these things for you know we ask for we may ask for like a financial blessing but we ask to we ask to receive this money or this new this financial blessing not because we plan to be more generous with our money and more generous with our time and more you know generate more giving more in tithes and being more involved in community service or anything it's that's not he knows that's not why we're really asking he knows that we're really asking because we want 
to selfishly indulge in our own desires. We want money because we, we want to be able to buy this and buy that. And it's not saying that these material things are wrong, but rather that he knows the motive behind what you really want it for. Perhaps it's more so like you're, you want it to show people that you're, you have money. Like perhaps it's a prideful thing. I don't know. But like I said, it's not for me to judge your motives. God's going to judge your motives because God doesn't fact know your heart. So we're going to move on from there. The next part it talks about, it says, don't you know, he calls, he, James, James calls the people, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God or animosity against God, opposition against God. So it's the whole idea of that. Don't you know that friendship, I'm sorry, my laptop was starting to die. <laughs> so it's saying that, don't you know that friendship with the world is opposition against God? You're an, you are, if you are friends with the world, you are an enemy of God. His spirit that dwells inside of us longs for us, longs for jealously. So first, just briefly talk about the fact that James says, you adulterous people. And at, for the Jewish reader, they would know exactly the scriptures that he is talking about. There's Hosea 3, verse 1. Um, there is, I know, in Ezekiel, in Jeremiah, in Isaiah. There's several different prophets. There's several different uh, books in the Bible, old prophets from the Old Testament that Jesus or God uses to express his uh, displeasure with the uh, unfaithful acts of his children, of the children of Israel and the children of Judah. So they're very aware of the idea of being called an adulterous people. I think in Ezekiel, there is a passage, um, there's chapters where God is calling the children of Israel, the, the, the city of it, the children of Israel and the children of Judah the nations of Israel and Judah, he's comparing them to prostitutes. You know, he's comparing them to adulterous women, adult. And in Hosea, if you've read the book of Hosea, then you would know that in Hosea, God calls Hosea to literally marry a prostitute and that she's, and he's kind of, he's telling them like, she's going to cheat on you and you're going to have to take her back because that's an example of how I take back and still love the children of Israel, despite their unfaithfulness towards me. So they know exactly what it means to be called to be considered an adulterous people. So James is kind of like sticking it where it hurts. Like you adulterous people, even now after after Jesus came and you're, you've been cleansed and of your sin and you're a new creation. He's like, don't forget, you know, don't forget what what it used to be. Like you're you're looking, you're starting to head down that wrong path. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God, right? And so we're gonna read. Um, Oh, real quick, before I jump to the to the passage I want to read, once again, just remember the first and the greatest commandment. In Deuteronomy 6, 5, it says, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. You know, and, and, and I think in Exodus, when it lays out the 10, you know, the commandments, the first commandment is like, you shall have, or the love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, have no other gods before me. Like there, we, no idols, no idolatry, nothing that, nothing to stand, stand in between our relationship with God, well, yeah, nothing, nothing needs to stand in between our relationship with God. And if we are considering ourselves a friend of the world, we're like, but I love the way the world does, da 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 He's like, you're in direct opposition to God, and it can't work. It's not sustainable. You cannot, you cannot maintain a relationship with, an adulterous relationship, essentially, with the world while you're claiming to still be the bride of Christ. You can't do it. You can't do it. So we're going to read Romans chapter... Um, that's my cleansing hands. We're going to read Romans chapter eight, verses five through eight to kind of get a better understanding of what it is to be a, 
enemy of God. So in Romans chapter 8, it says, Those who live according to the flesh have their mind have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Remember, it says hostile. You know, have you ever seen, if you've seen any movie, you've heard about any war story, if you've heard about just, if you've been, if you've been around somebody who don't like you, it's hostile, the energy is different, you know, the vibe is off. He's like, you, you if you were living according to the flesh, you, the flesh, he's like, then you're living, the, your mind is governed by, uh, the, the flesh is, the flesh is hostile to God. Like, that's not a place you want to be. That's not a place you want to sit. That's not a space you want to stay in. You don't want to be led by something that's going to make you an enemy of God, something that's going to make you hostile towards God, something that's going to bring him displeasure. We want to please God, not because it we are earning our way, which we talked about in the whole faith without works uh, episode. It's not, we don't work to please God to for salvation, but rather from the salvation we work, we do good deeds because we know it's pleasing to God. We, out of our love, out of his love for us, we show our love back to him by doing good to others. Anyway, so on the whole idea of what does um, what does friendship with the world look like to kind of further flesh that out from the Romans 8, the Romans 8, 5 through 8, just take a look back at some of these older episodes we've done. The whole book of James is discussing the difference between being um what god desires versus what is displeasing to god like go back and read one two three go back and read chapters one two and three go back and watch the different the different episodes with our, which we've done and you can see how god feels about how his children act there are certain things that we can see are in clear opposition you know are in clear opposition to what god desires from us so here we are towards the end what is the solution? How can we be, how can we not be friendship, friends with the world? How can we not quarrel and, and fight and be covetous and jealous? How can we not, um, like, how can we avoid these things? Well, James gives the answer, right? In James chapter four, verses seven through 10, he tells you essentially like, how do we, how do we submit to God? How do we, or not, not necessarily how do we submit to God, but how do we, how do we get away from being an adulterous people? How do we get away from being friends with the world and enemies to God? How do we get away from fighting and quarreling because of our own evil desires battling within us? James says, submit yourselves to God. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And think about Jesus when he was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter four. He says, come near to God and he will come near to you. He says, wash your hands and purify your hearts. He says, grieve for what you've done. He's when he says, grieve, mourn, and wail, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. He's saying, grieve for what you've done. And I want to read 1 Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 11. So this is Paul writing. He wrote a letter to the church at Corinth, and he recognizes that the letter brought the church, like, sorrow. And he's like, at first I was sorry that 
he's like, I, I regretted that this letter caused you to be hurt. But then he was like, actually, I'm happy that it hurt you because it caused you to repent, which is always the purpose behind what I, what I do, you know, is to lead you, is to encourage you and to also lead you to repent should it be, should you need to, because it's this, hey, doing this causes me to repent at the time, you know? So it, it's just to be an encouragement to you and to, to hopefully lead you to repentance if there's an area where the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you know? So in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 11, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See that this, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point you have proven your, you proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So he's just telling them, telling the, Paul is telling the church at Corinth, like that godly sorrow was a good thing. That godly sorrow leads you to repent. It leads you to to salvation. It leads you to to not long to no longer regret. The worldly sorrow is you know you kind of you feel bad but you don't change. You don't want the worldly sorrow. You want the you want the the grief for what you've done. Not to stay in that grief. Not a mindset of shame, but to grieve and mourn for what you've done. He says and wail. Change. He says change your don't be. He says change your laughter to to mourning and your joy to gloom. Because it's that godly sorrow that's going to lead you to repentance. It's going to lead you to eagerly and earnestly clear yourselves by seeking out the word. It's going to lead you to Jesus every single time. Godly sorrow points back to Jesus. Godly sorrow points back to grace and mercy that happened when he died for us on the cross. That's what godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is going to put you back in the right relationship because it's going to humble you. And that's the last thing he tells the church in James chapter 4. He's, or not the last thing, but the last thing we're going to talk about. In verse 10, he says, humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. That's a common, that's, I'm sure that's a common thing you've heard. There's songs about it. Humble yourself before in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So I want to read first Peter. No. Yeah. First Peter chapter five, verse five, and then we'll be done. So in first Peter chapter five, I'm sorry, verse six, first Peter chapter five, verse six, it says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So that is all that I have today. I apologize. It feels a little rushed. I am a little rushed and there's dogs barking all around me outside, but I pray that this was beneficial for you, that it encouraged you, that it challenged you to check your motives, ask the Lord to search your heart and to change, you know, to search out your motives and to reveal your motives to you and that he will change your motives and that he will give you a pure heart and a clean mind. And um, that it will, and that you will have godly sorrow over the things you may have done or or are doing, that will lead you to repentance and put you back in the right relationship with God, give you back that right heart posture to humble yourself before the Lord, and that He will lift you up in due time. So anyway, that is all I have. We're gonna pray a sound and then we'll be done. So the Heavenly Father God, I thank you, Lord God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross. I pray, God, that you will help us to humble ourselves, Lord, in in the sight, in the sight, in, in your sight before you, Father God, so that you will lift us up in due time. That you will help us to resist the devil and to flee from him, and to or he will flee for us, flee from us to resist him and submit ourselves to you and to draw near to you, so that we can we can continue to grow in the things that you called us to grow in and to be. I pray all these things and many more in the mighty name of your Son Jesus Christ. Amen. So, 
until next week. Bye!